Hi, this is Tanya Nyack, and you're listening to The Break. One of the things I like to do is hit record before my guest joins in. And the reason is because I want it to feel more like a natural conversation than I want it to feel like an actual podcast. So my next guest, David Moscow, writer, producer, actor, you may recognize him as the child actor that played Tom Hanks in the movie Big. Well, now he's all grown up. He has a new show called From Scratch where he shows where the food has come from. And this guy is an adventure seeker because right before we got into the podcast, I watched his Instagram story. And there was a clip from a show where he had gone diving in some really rocky waters for sea tomatoes. I know, what's a sea tomato? You'll find out when you listen. But the crazy thing is, is that he almost lost his life. He almost drowned going after these sea tomatoes for the show. So there's a little backstory to what you're about to listen to. Hey. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Where are you right now? I'm I'm in LA. I'm in Santa Monica. Where are you at? I love Santa Monica. I'm in Boston. Boston. I love yes. Boston. Do I know you're a New Yorker too, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm not supposed to love Boston because I'm a New Yorker. I know. My but brother, the East Coast thing, it's that, right, that's right. a thing too. <laughs> yeah, you bond over that as well. But right now, the Boston's in the playoffs. Yanks didn't make it. So it's yeah, I know. A I hard know. thing. A little tension there. <laughs> my, brother, my brother my uh, brother, went to Tufts and lived in Somerville for a while. And yeah, yeah. I'd go up Did you ever go party out there in Boston when he was uh, at Tufts? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was... Uh, those would be those weekends that you would like, they were vacation weekends, but that you had to recover from your vacation. Yeah. Um, it's a great town. I mean, especially in college and to really. I brought, if you partied with him and he went to Tufts, I definitely served you drinks as a bartender. No oh, question. Really? No question. Yeah. I was all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> but anyways, I'm Tanya. Nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm David. so excited. Nice to meet you. I'm like so excited for you for everything that's going on. Holy yeah, shit. it's wild. Like when you're yeah. in the middle of it, it feels like like you're riding a tiger. And uh <laughs> people are like, oh cool, you're riding a tiger. And then you're like, how'd I get on this tiger? This is insane. But uh but it's a and lot then you of get fun. off the tiger and you're like, I just rode a tiger. Right, <laughs> I can't right. believe it. Well, that's pretty Especially much what coming you out of the pandemic. Like that was the mm-hmm. real, like that was the craziest thing ever doing an international sort of food and travel show during felt good, though, the last right? two years. It's been wild. Yeah. Well, I watched your Instagram video of the freaking sea tomatoes. And I was (laughs) like, first of all, what the hell is a sea tomato? It's a, it's a sea anemone, but it looks like a little tomato. It's like a little red and it doesn't taste like much except the ocean. Um, But it is this total, you know, kind of like oysters or uh, oysters have a very ocean taste. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what these things taste like. Um, Interesting. Was it worth risking your life for? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. That was, that was the worst. That was the worst moment of my life. Right, yeah. right there, you know, nearly drowning. And after, I don't know if it was in the clip, uh, they couldn't send the cameraman with us because it was too dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, so we ended up, uh, they just ended up droning it. And as I was in the cove and nearly drowning, when I got back to the to the crew, they were like, yeah, that was amazing. That looked incredible. And I was like, 
<laughs> and me and me and Giuseppe, uh, who I think was my uh, diver, like we had to ride back on the boat together, and we were both very quiet because yeah. we knew what had happened. He had saved my life. He had saved it's, my life. Right there. It's crazy. Like, what do you what do you do for somebody that saves your life? Like, what happened next? Shake hands and see you later, or what? Well, he was he was not happy with me <laughs> because he had been me. He was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, we got to do it. We got to get it. And he was like, all right, well, I'm just taking you. Nobody else. So it was like, and I told you so. And then uh, he kind of gruffly shook my hand. But I was I was like, thank you. And then sadly, I had to get right back on another boat, which I did not want to do. I was like, oh, must have been terrified. I mean, that's, a, that's actually we were, lobster, we were going for lobster. So it was a little different. But <laughs> Watching that freaked me the hell out because for one, I'm not a good swimmer. So I'll start Ooh. with that. But watching you go through that and getting slammed up against the rocks and like just the water dropping, I was seriously freaking out for you. And I can't, I can't even imagine what that was like while you were in the thick of it. Were you just in survival mode or what? Oh yeah. And I am a strong swimmer and it didn't matter. <laughs> the ocean, the ocean doesn't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, Giuseppe Giovanni, I got to remember the guy who saved my life's name. It was two, yeah. it was two years ago. So, but Giovanni um, is a, is a free diver. He is a, a world champion. He goes under the water, can stay under there for five, six, seven minutes. So that's how we survived. That's how bad it was. He basically just took a deep breath, grabbed mm-hmm. me and like towed me out. As I was and like, you're not- ah. <laughs> Well, you're not a little guy. Like if it was me, I'd be no problem. Like oh, yeah, over your shoulder. You out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so crazy. But I wouldn't but recommend know, doing it in either case, even if you could be towed out real quick, don't do it. Um, trust. I won't be doing that anytime soon. I mean, there is sort of this like jackass type thing that goes on with the show. They put me into situations and then it's like, how would a normal person who doesn't know what they're doing Mm-hmm. respond to stuff you know in a world where everyone kind of thinks everyone's like armchair quarterback everyone's an online expert you know right. you actually see what real expertise is every day you know whether it's from how do you harvest sorghum right mm-hmm. to we i was just in kenya this year and we were we were harvesting honey from from bees and these are, you know, the, the dangerous Africanized honeybee or whatever like that. And like what can happen if you, if you got stung well, by one of these? Well, it's not particular. it's the same sting, mm-hmm. but they send out 10 times the amount of warriors to come get you. And they oh. chase you for a longer period, like a half a mile. Right. So when we drove up, they had two cars with open doors, one to the left and one to the right, one was slightly down the hill, one was slightly up the hill. So depending if all hell broke loose, I was supposed to run into one of them and slam the door. But when we get there, um, these two shaman were taking me to harvest the honey. They had developed these so that they wouldn't go after wild honey anymore because that just kills the hive and damages it. So they started, they built their own um, special hives and the community uses them alongside the farmland because elephants don't like bees elephants like the corn but they don't like the bees so that's a way the elephants out naturally okay so we went to go after a hive and 
there were only two bisous. And so the shaman were like, we got those. So I'm like, uh, all right, I'll, I'll kind of stay a little bit on the edge. So as they're, and they use this, this um, native mushroom that they light on fire. That's what they use to smoke the bees out. So they're smoking it out. I don't know if the mushroom doesn't work that well, but well, I, I mean, like, not, it depends what this mushroom was. Hopefully everyone wasn't getting all like, <laughs> trippy with this thing. <laughs> we were, it was a wild time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, they, there was one moment where they were like, we need more fire. And like an idiot, I had the torch and I stepped in and it was like, tap. And then it got you. And then they were, cause I, so I had a hood, I had a hoodie that was like cinched so that this was really the only, but a couple got in my hood and I was running and I could hear them like, Meh! and I was running for the one and I got stung three times oh, and I got no. in the car and then they, they got us our honey, which was good. And, and I took one for the team, but <laughs> um, the next day my face blew up. I had oh. an with uh, Dr. Richard Leakey, who's like this incredibly legendary paleoanthropologist. And so they sat me on the side where my face was not on camera. <laughs> this, but like one, and then over the next week, it like I was on the plane and half my face just was deformed. Oh my God. Well, that is just insane. And the, the extremes that you went through for it, for this show. First of all, I want to know are you a cook to begin with, or is the cooking side of it just secondary to the actual action? You know, I was my mom's sous chef when I was a kid, but that yeah. kind of stopped. Like part of the reason I did the show was a lot of the things I was having a boy, I was having a kid. Mm -hmm. And I was starting to think back about like, oh, what were the things I enjoyed? And a lot of them were like apple picking, running around in the woods, mm -hmm. fishing with my grandpa, things I hadn't done for 30 years that were not in my life anymore. I was, you know, New Yorker, Angelino, you know, it's a lot of like having meetings over coffee these days, right? But that part of my life had disappeared. And because of that, the distance to my food had, you know, there was such a remove to what I, from what I was eating. Like everything either came wrapped in plastic mm -hmm. or I sat down at a restaurant, served to me, and there was no relationship to what I was eating. So that was kind of why I started it. Like um, at the same time also, it was 2016 when we had the idea and um, there was a guy running for president who was villainizing like a lot of the people in the country. And I thought that that was, you know, idiotic. And I wanted to show sort of like all the work that it takes to make something like a margarita, which mm -hmm. is a Mexican cocktail. And it's the number one cocktail here as well. And then also the, the hard work it takes to make tacos. So I was going to go down to like Oaxaca, harvest corn, make masa, make tortillas and go through the whole process. And we were going to make a documentary just to stand alone. Okay. And um, my agents at the time also repped Bourdain's company. And then one of my partners who works on Chef's Table. So then everybody was like, this should be a series and you should follow different food cultures around the world and, and generally discuss food producers as a whole the people mm -hmm. who bring the food to our table, how important it's, that is. It is. It's so interesting because when I heard the name from scratch, not going to lie, I pictured you in the kitchen with the grandma, you know, kind of making some pasta or whatever with the flour and the egg, whatever, and making yeah. the pasta. I never expected 
the adventures that you're going to go on and actually the real meaning behind it. So it's, and listen, let's not kid ourselves. You got plenty of scratches along the way, right? Like yeah. you don't think us, it should be scratched up is what it should be called. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love the concept. I'm so excited for you on That's that. That's scratched up after. Scratched up, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? I, it's so interesting. So this podcast is called The Break. One thing that I realize in people's lives, much like you, okay, so you started off as a child actor, which I'm mm-hmm. dying to figure out how that all happened, but it doesn't always turn out so well for people that start off acting at such a young age. And I know that there's a journey because it's never just a break, right? Yeah. The break sounds great. It, it glamorizes all the hard work or all the trials and tribulations that brought you to that point. But I'm so curious about young David you know, what that was like and and what made you decide to get into acting in the first place? Well, I came from a family that was, we didn't watch TV. We didn't have a TV in the house and we rarely went. You didn't even have one. There was a period of time where we had a very teeny black and white TV, the kind that like when you turn it off, it like went to that little white dot in the center and they kept it up in our attic and they would bring it down once a week to watch MASH. But that was really... (laughs) That was what we got. That was got. a good one. It was worth it. Good worth one. it to bring it down for Great that. Show. Radar, yeah. O'Reilly. I, those guys are legendary because in my mind, because they're the only TV I knew. Yeah. But I would go over to other kids' house, you know, and sit in front of it. Uh, Mr. Rogers, the electric company. And, and my mom said that when I was young, I kind of said, like, I want to do that. Um, and I was always the kid who would, like, go stand on something very high that was very dangerous and then go to da right? Mm-hmm. So... My teacher in fifth grade put me in the school play and, um, and I got my first laughs. And once you get your first laughs on the oh, stage, forget it. You're done. Right. You're in it. I got this. <laughs> so, uh, so then my mom saw an open casting call in the local community newspaper in the Bronx. And they were looking for 11 year old kid from the Bronx. It was a Jodie Foster film. John Turturro called Five Corners. I went in. They liked me, but my parents were very like, what's Hollywood? This is not, you know, my parents were radical left-wing community organizers. So this was the last thing that they wanted. But uh, But but this is your first audition? With Jody, Your first audition is with Jodie Foster, is it? Jodie Foster and John Turturro. It's a great movie. Um, I didn't end up doing it because my parents were kind of like, we don't know what this is. Um, and we had already planned like, a. we didn't have a lot of money and they, they had already planned a summer vacation that they had spent more money than they had. And so they were like, we're not going to cancel this, just say no. But when we got back, my, an agent called me and said that the cast directors thought that they should, I should meet them. And I went in and I remember they gave me sides, which was, you know, the, the part of the script that you're auditioning with. Mm-hmm. And it was from a movie that hadn't come out yet, but it turned out to be Stand By Me. So later that wow. year, I was watching Stand By Me and I was like, oh, I know this part. I know this. You're like, wait, why do these lines? So, so they sound so familiar to me. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. And, um, and I auditioned. Um, it was kind of like things clicked pr- pretty quickly. Like my first couple auditions I got. And the first one was a reoccurring on Kate and Allie. The second one was... Love that show too. Oh, it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And the second one was big, but I was auditioning for it when it was De Niro. So I was auditioning for the friend and then it just kind of turned around. 
Uh, Isn't that interesting though, that when you thought it was De Niro, you probably knew De Niro, but did you know who Tom Hanks was? I don't think I, I don't think I knew De Niro. <laughs> I, don't oh. think I, knew, I don't think I knew Hanks. I don't think You're I like, knew whoa. De Niro. I did know. Okay. So when we did big, it was the same crew that went right after they left big, they went to do working girl. And I had to go and do some wild lines uh, for Penny to, to put into the movie. So I went to the working girl set with the same sound guy and he had me record some wild lines. And then he was like, do you want to go upstairs and meet Indiana Jones? And I lost my mind. Uh, that <laughs> so is how old, how old were you at this time? Uh, I was 13. Wow. I, I was so I'm not a shy kid. I wasn't a shy kid at all. And I sat there mute in front of Harrison Ford, who was very gamely trying to like, what's your name? How old are you? What are you doing? Congratulations on your movie. And I was just like, oh, just starstruck. But at 13, did you know that Indiana Jones was another person, Harrison Ford? Or did that even connect? Do you remember? No, no, I don't. I probably didn't even make the connect. Well, because I knew, no, okay, no. So I knew he was Han Solo and Indiana Jones. So okay. yes, I knew there was a person probably playing that. But I mean, that's that's it's a still, legendary. That's wild. Did you get a photo with him? I've ever been in my life, but. <laughs> Did you get a photo? Did you ever meet him again down the road? No, I've never met Harrison Ford after that. And we have a photo together, yeah. Yeah, good. I'm <laughs> glad you got that. Yeah. That's great. Me awkwardly standing there like this, <laughs> him with a big smile. Yeah, every 13 year old is awkward just in general yeah. for the most part totally so so then tell me so that's your you would you look at that as your big break or do you think that was the first one and then maybe some time what happened after that so once you know big was such a success and I was it wasn't a large part of it I mean I think I was in it for 12 minutes of the movie but it was a pivotal sort of memorable part. I mean, young Josh, I would go around and actually I became very good friends with Jared Rushton, who played Billy, who's my best friend in that. And I would go visit him in LA and we would go to like the mall walking around and kids must've been like, oh my God, right? that's Billy and young Josh. This is real. So once you get something like that, you work consistently for a while. And so I was, I started doing, I did a, a few movies and a few TV series up until college. And then I kind of wanted to take a break and, and figure out like, oh, what do I want to do? I had cousins in Utah and they, they had the real high school experience with the football games and all that. And I, I, I kind of missed that. And I was like, well, yeah. let me try that for college. And um, I know very quickly, I realized that, was, that wasn't, <laughs> it looked good from the outside. You know, the grass is always greener. Right, and right. I like, oh, I miss, I miss the agency, like me doing my own thing and like, you know, it's exciting. It's playing. hype, energy, right? Yeah. What were you studying? English. Um, and I stayed in the city. I, first I went to Massachusetts briefly uh, to Hampshire college. And I came back and, um, and did like, I was at Columbia. They have like a, for people who work. So it's night program and stuff like that. Basically what happened is I was in school and my agents called me and they were like, uh, there's a Broadway show that would like you to come and do it. And um, I hadn't done a lot of theater since I was 12. And so I was terrified of it, but I agreed. To, and so I, I kind of dropped out thinking I would go back to college, but then did the show and it transformed how I thought what, what acting was for me. 
as a kid actor, I was one of those kids who like today there's insanely talented child actors, right? Who mm -hmm. win Academy Awards. But I was kind of the one who was like, I was charming. I put a good smile on my face and walked around and that was my thing. But going on stage for two, two and a half hours on Broadway, I had to learn. It's a rush. I had to learn how to right. actually act. At the end of the play, I had to cry. I had to break down and cry. And I had never cried before. What was and, that? Well, how did you do it? So through all of the rehearsals and previews, I was faking it. Like I would be on stage acting and I'd be thinking about, you know, meeting my best friend for dinner that night. Ah, we're going to go to the Greek place around the corner, blah, blah, blah. Then I'd say my line. And the producers were like, you got to you got to fix this. Mm -hmm. You have to cry at the end. You have to make all the old ladies in the first row cry. Like this is on you. If you need picture, here's pictures of your family. Imagine your mom dies. We'll leave them on the coffee table. You come down. Oh my gosh. Right. And nothing. Like I'm like, boo, boo, boo. It was like bad. So the last week, and thank goodness I read this article about Sean Penn and it said that he was the character on every movie he does from the minute he gets it for three or four months so much so that he annoys the people he's working with and I yeah. was like well I wonder I wonder if I could do that for this so then method acting is that what it is that what it's called method yeah, acting, method acting. Yeah. Okay. But, and, and that you don't leave it right you don't leave it for the whole time period so I got up the next morning and was Peter I think his name was and I was Peter all the way through till, you know, the, the press comes the night before you open or the two days before you open. And at the end of the play, you know, I'm supposed to say goodbye to my mom and tell her, how can I ever miss you if you never leave? And then she leaves and I close the door and I'm going to turn. So I turn, say goodbye, close the door and. It just happened. It did. It worked. It happened. So I think it's so wild. This is actually really interesting to me because I've never had this conversation before with anyone <laughs> in the sense that, so here you are, you're acting in the way that you know how, right? Now you hear about this notion of method acting, but mm -hmm. how did you just flip the switch? Like, how do you just decide? And was it harder to turn it on and off? Or was it harder to just live it and be that character 24 seven? Well, it messes with your mind over time. I bet. Especially if you're doing like a television show and the character is like weird and quirky. And then you like, I did Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, and I did the same type of method, except this guy's like neurotic and weird and, and quiet and shy. So suddenly I'm like in Hollywood parties and I'm standing against the wall. Like I had never been that person before. That's and you so do this wild. years, right? And you're mm -hmm. like, look, it, when you're making great, when you're making a great movie for three months at a time, it's, it's an amazing thing to try and be somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were certainly like, you know, there was a film I did called Restaurant with Adrian Brody. Um, that was probably like me at my, that was, that's the part that I feel like I really got it. And so, so this goes back to the break part. So I had that first break and then I stopped for a bit and then I did the Broadway show. And, and then I, so after the Broadway show, I decided to like run a theater company with friends to, cause I wanted more of like that and was really exploring this method thing. 
and we would put up different plays very quickly. So it really helped build a toolbox for me because I'd be one day, one week I'd be playing this and the next week I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, Oh, let's do Sam Shepard's 4-H club. And I would call people, we'd go build the set and we'd put it on. And, um, but it was also a time when I wasn't getting a lot of work because mm-hmm. I was that awkward in between child actor to adult actor. Right. Um, but it built up the flexibility so that when I, when, when it was, when there was a moment that I could, you know, what is that? What's that saying? Like luck is preparation meets timing or something. Yeah. Like that. I know the saying you're thinking of, but I am the worst person because yeah. I screw them all up. So <laughs> the I know two of us saying. meeting yeah. together. The two <laughs> exactly. But anyway, there's a quote out there that says what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but that's what this did. You know, that, that downtime where I was like, had no money, broke artist in New York, hustling, like trying to get work. Right. Um, and meaning that I would like put myself out there further than if I was comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. If you're comfortable, you, you coast. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. I hear you. You don't, you don't, you don't bring your friends in and, and find like the costume of the character and get somebody to come and do your hair and like and, and go out in the woods and you know act it out like it's real. Like that takes you know, the burning desire. Um, and so there was kind of like this cyclical thing where every five years I would work or every four years I would work. So big came when I was 12, Newsies came when I was 16, uh, the Broadway show came when I was 20. And so there would be this time where like, I would get comfortable I'd get a job, I'd get comfortable. It would last for a while. And then I'd wake up one morning and be like, uh, the phone is ringing. (laughs) I got to pay the bills. The oh shit moment, right? Like what's, what's going to happen next? I think that's the moment that sucks people down sometimes, but for some reason you seem to, and I don't know, you can tell me, but did you ever get sucked down? Did you ever get like fall into that tunnel of like, I, I, this is an extreme word, but of despair, so to speak, like yeah, what's going to happen next? Yeah. yeah. Mid twenties, mid twenties, that 20 to 25 was, was tough. I think because like, for me, I felt like, oh, I should have made it by now. You, you become an adult and you're like, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, Newton, discovered gravity when he was 19, right? Like, oh, all his dust. You do I'm that 20. to yourself. You're screwed though, right? <laughs> Comparison game. <laughs> so, so, but that happens. Like, you're like, oh, and, and it's never going to work. And and so it was it was um, along the time when I was probably doing my best work on stage in that little theater company was also when I was struggling. I think, I think acting saved me during that period of time, because I was, you know, I got into alcohol, but going and doing the work, doing the work and knowing that there was something that I was doing well, save, save me. Yeah. And then therapy saved me, but, but, <laughs> uh, but no, I think that, I think that um, that allowed me to get to the next phase, which was, you know, I was, I was, I was doing TV I actually was earning a good living and starting to look beyond just acting, starting to look into producing and directing and writing. And I had built up a 
contacts and champions and friends who were like, you know, we want to support you in what you do. And um, yeah. So I think it's, a, it's like that for a lot of people, you, you have these moments where things work out and then a lot of it, particularly in the business, like if you, if you get one movie, one big movie, that's a month, two months of work, but you could not work the whole rest of the year and be like struggling. Um, but people from the outside are like, oh my goodness, you had a huge year this year. And on your side, you're like, am I ever going to work again? Right. So that's the real battle as an actor. The the going on set and the work is like, I would do that for free, but you're right. being paid for the in-between times, you know, where you're just, you're just working. It's, it's interesting because I do a lot of reality TV shows and my, but I'm an interior designer by trade. So all the shows I do are HGTV, like that kind of stuff. And so my dad was always, uh, we come from India, you know, everything has to be very pragmatic and, and black and white, you know? So a TV show does not make sense. It doesn't resonate in my pop's head. Right. Mm -hmm. So he always said, you know, you have to have your two feet on the ground. You need to have a business so that if these gigs go away, then, then you, We'll have something to fall back on. And Smart advice. yeah, it is great advice. And and I look at it sometimes in two ways because I think sometimes, like, what'd you do to me? I'm working constantly. I have my business, I'm running, I'm doing the shows, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. but it's true. It did always give me comfort in the sense that if a show didn't happen, I didn't lose my mind over it because I'm like, I'm fine. I got my business going. Yeah. So, you know, what advice would you give to actors who are in their 20s and and you know, they get a hot show or a hot gig for a hot second, right? And then they're waiting for the next one. What would you advise to them to like not let it bring them down in the in-between and how to keep their spirit and momentum up? Well, there's a couple of things. My dad gave me some good advice as well. And he said that, you know, the mountain never ends for anybody. And that even Tom Hanks and Tom Cruise look at one another, like Tom Hanks would look at Tom Cruise and say, oh, I wish my movies were making $2 billion. And Tom Cruise looks at Tom Hanks and wishes that he has three Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. And so they're always, it, it just never ends. So you have to enjoy the ride and more than sort of like this popularity contest or making it, right? Because that, that doesn't happen. Um, it's like wishing you were the King of England in a way. Right. Um, in, in sort of like, hands-on advice, I, I would say that kind of what you talked about, what your dad said, I would say, if you're going to school, don't necessarily study acting. I would say, get a degree in something mm -hmm. so that you never have to worry about the struggle side of it. Because, and look, if you really love it, you'll go find some small theater company and put yourself on or shoot something on the weekends um, but if you don't have to be worrying about paying your bills, then this isn't an all or nothing thing. Right. And it also takes some of the pressure off when you're going into auditions. Um, I just talked at USC about this and was like, study engineering, study something that's going to give you a little flexibility, be a mm -hmm. teacher, right. So that you can work after three o'clock or during the summers. Um, a lot of actors, you know, if you weren't raised with a silver spoon in your mouth, a lot of actors were teachers. I think like Billy Crystal was a teacher. Danny DeVito was a teacher, like all these people that you wouldn't expect. 
they started, you know, in the New York City school system, you know, as subs. And and that's cool. Yeah. Um, also keep, always read, you know, read, make sure that you are keeping your interests up because that'll allow you to come to any role that you're doing with different perspectives. But it will also allow you, if, if ever the time presents itself, to make your own work. You know, yeah. you found a good, you found your favorite short story and you want to option it and turn it into a script. All right. That's you though, right? So you're the guy that's, <clears throat> okay, finished a movie. You try your hand at theater, love theater, start your, your company, co-produce in the Heights. I mean, that is remarkable. I have to say, I haven't seen it in person, but I did watch the movie version of movie. it. Yeah. And it's, it's so, so good. I mean, yeah. I'm, obviously I'm sure it's very different apples and oranges when you're red, delicious apples versus apples, <laughs> you know, but uh, well, what was that like? Lin-Manuel, it, you know, obviously is a genius. Um, it was, it was a very, it was a very funny story. My dad, you know, being a community activist in New York uh, called me up one day while I was running the theater company and said that a friend of his, his son, who I actually knew because we had ridden on the same school bus together going to school in the mornings. He, Lynn was from uh, uh, northern Manhattan. And uh, so Luis asked my dad if I would listen to 20 minutes of music that Lynn had written in college. That was his college thesis for a musical. And I was like, oh, no, this is a disaster. Like whenever anybody family is like, my right. kid wants to be an actor, check them out. I'm like, oh, God. oh no, and now, now you feel indebted to try to help even if they suck. Right? <laughs> You're like, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. And, yeah. uh, and then nothing is worse than bad theater, like being trapped in a, in a play that's like <laughs> with a friend. You know? And so anyway, I invited him down to the theater company and he and his college friends came in and 10 minutes in, I was like, lock the doors. This shit is amazing. Really? Like, yeah. Immediate. Boom. Wow. So, so then I started workshopping it. And um, uh, at the time I was dating Carrie Washington. So we put her in it as a lead and because mm-hmm. she was popping. And so like Spike Lee got interested and I found the main investor, uh, Jill Furman, who had just done a, who was like dating one of my good friends and who I had just acted in a movie that she had produced. She had done the drowsy chaperone. So I knew she was doing Broadway. And I said, Jill, do you want to come down and check this out? And then, uh, the casting director, Bernie Telsey, who I'd worked with a number of times in theater, he he cast Rent, so I got him involved. And then the big gun snowballed. Came. Yeah, it snowballed. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But so that and and that started the the producing side of stuff, really. Like um it got there, there's something also really neat about helping creatives on the outside, like facilitating. And it teaches you humility because sometimes they look at you and they're like, I don't like that note. <laughs> You're like, what? Excuse Wait, me. What? I mean, how dare. Yeah. You know who I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you got to take that. Uh, and, um, but there is something uh, very fulfilling about helping um, people who have the fire, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, accomplish things. And so from that moment, that was such a big success that the people who, even the people who I, I didn't get money from to invest, they were like, oh my goodness, we should have, what do you want to do next? Oh so that, yeah. 
launched that set the, the, the path for that. That's incredible. Did you at any point say, I want to be acting in it? Or were you just perfectly okay not? I was perfectly okay not. Like mm-hmm. at that at that point, I was sort of like, um, I needed a break. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, acting is super intense. And in order to be successful, you have to be working like 110%, really. And so when I met people who were like, had that fire and were down to work 110%, I was like, oh, that's, that's what I remember. So I'm going to help them for a period of time. And then, and then one of the investors, he kept kicking, he liked that idea of the documentary. He and his wife liked the idea of the documentary around food. So I produced, so after In the Heights, I produced a bunch of movies to dust um, yeah, we won, I won Tribeca a couple of times, a bunch of Sundance stuff. We had something at Cannes and, um, and again, that was like facilitating other artists, which was pretty neat. And, right. um, and also and again, some- wearing another hat, another hat. Yeah. Well, you, yeah, yeah. But yeah. they, they all feel sort of the same, like problem solving and work, like whether you're doing reality or you're designing, mm-hmm. it's all problem solving. It's all right. navigating. That's true hurdles mm-hmm. right and whether you're the one on camera or not you're still kind of doing you know similar stuff let me ask you this yeah. making the switch from acting to now reality being authentically you on camera yeah have you ever done that before no no. <laughs> no that's wild isn't it like was it really hard to break out of that shell of, of acting mode versus I'm David Moscow. This is who I am. Yeah. And I think in season one, you see it like you see there's a hesitancy sometimes. Like I didn't land in it like like a Bourdain who kind of like just like filled Mm -hmm. that space. Right. I didn't know there were no lines for me to read. So like, how am I supposed to do this moment? Right. And I could tell like because I grew up in this. You can tell where the beats of drama should come or the beats of comedy should come. Yeah, as a producer too, I'm sure as that a helped a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I had never not had lines. So it took me a little while to get my sea legs under me. In fact, the first two episodes we shot happened to be the last episodes we showed because- <laughs> Right, you were trying bit. to get the wheels turning there. Right. I know. The last one's a little messy. Uh not, not my crew was great. I was, I don't know, but um, yeah. But then after a bit, you're like, oh, all right. Yeah, I got, I like some of the lines you can write. And then yeah. um, and I also opened it up to uh, my writing partner on the show is my dad and my wife. So like it's family and they know what I'm good at and what, mm-hmm. what they, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of me complaining because like, I'm getting beat up. Like I'm nearly drowning or I got to climb up. Legitimate concerns and complaints. I'd say (laughs) I'm like, this is a disaster. Whose idea was this? Right. And and the audience likes to see that. So um, the audience being my wife and my father. Right. uh, I love that you have your, I knew that your wife was working with you on it, but I didn't know about your dad. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah. It's, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's hard to tell your dad that he's, you know, I'm like, what's going on? I, I haven't gotten my uh, the the opening monologue yet. He's like, I'm busy. I'm like, you need to send it. Um, but uh, no, it's been it's been an amazing um, 
we've been writing for five years. We wrote a couple of scripts together. We've been writing this. We have, we're writing a book at the moment. Um, That's amazing. Can you talk about this book at all? What it's, uh, what it's about? The book is, is similar to the show. It's, it's, um, it's the adventures of traveling the world and working with food pr- producers and also sort of like what's going on in the environment. Food producers are, are on the front lines of global climate change. They're mm-hmm. on the front lines of like um, sort of the fight for economic justice. There's a lot of like deep political, social, um, environmental stuff, but also the adventure that, you know, that, yeah. that gets us there. And a show only can scrape so deep, right? Before people turn off. Like my wife is the perfect litmus test my dad and I'll write these like really dense opening and closing monologues and narrative. And she'll be watching and be like, like <laughs> dozing off. You're like, yeah, oh, we got her eyes this. glaze over. She's like, I don't understand what you just said. So then we got to trim it back. And, but I think the book will allow sort of the deeper dive that, that we're interested in. And, mm-hmm. um, but also it's, it's fun. It's like we hide the medicine in the ice cream I, I talk about drowning in Sardinia. I talk about sort of the first time I ever had to hunt and what that's like, you know, cause I, I'm a meat eater and, um, and it means you're killing an animal, but yeah. we're so distant from it that we sort of, I'll go to a breakfast table with family and there'll be five animals on there. Right. And no one thinks twice about it. There's chicken sausage and some bacon and leftovers yeah. from yesterday. Right. And so I think it's important to do it at least once to see what you're actually doing and then change, maybe change your eating habits based on that. So my eating habits have changed. Have they? Because I, I'm a meat eater also, but I'm an animal lover. It's such a brutal, like to even say that, but I have to remove myself from that mindset if I'm going to eat meat. So I can't imagine having to slaughter the actual animal. And then when you ate it, were you crying? I mean, I would be distraught. The, the moment, the moment, the slaughter is, is um, horrifying and certain, mm-hmm. you know, and so my change, look, I, I probably am on the path towards not eating meat at some point. It's hard because food cultures are, it's a community, it's a familial thing and my whole family, that's what we do. So it would really be breaking with my community to do it. So that's hard and I enjoy it. It's delicious. Yeah, right. So, but the change is I don't eat it as much. When I do eat it, I want to pay a lot of money for it. I want the people mm-hmm. who, who raised it to make a good living. And I want the animals that have lived, you know, and been slaughtered humanely. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means it's going to be a little more expensive. So that's the change I've made up until now. But yeah, we eat, we eat vegan or vegetarian, I'd say five days a week, kind of. Yeah. And the other two, like we have our cheat day. <laughs> the, the <LA laughs> Fair cheat enough. Day. Yeah, that's fine. You can't beat yourself up over it. You know what? It is. It, you have one life to live. And if you enjoy yeah. it, then and you're doing it in moderation. It's fine. I, well, my, I'm dad, my dad's become vegetarian. So he's got the. Oh, really? Food. He's like, yeah. really? You're going to eat that? And I'm like, <laughs> everyone finds God when they're when they're old. And right. Like, I'm no. not even technically allowed to eat beef, but I do. 
Yeah. Not like crazy, but I do. What, is, what I is love your family? It. What does your family say about that? No, they, they don't eat? say anything. They, my parents don't, my sister and I do, but, uh, you know, it, again, in moderation, we grew up yeah. eating predominantly vegetarian every now and then some chicken, right? Never my, when my sister married her husband, he's also Indian, but he's, he's Christian. He's a big meat eater. Love not anymore. He's now vegetarian, but he <laughs> loved meat. And so my mom and my husband's Irish loves meat. So yeah. my mother was like, Oh my God, I gotta, I gotta cook steaks for these guys. She didn't know. Wow. She had wow. no idea what to do. Like she did it, you know, but she didn't right, know how right, to right. cook it or whatever, but yeah, I do. I do. Enjoy so that's nice the community. Steak. That's the new community, right? That's you're in a, you're here. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's much harder. Like if you were in India surrounded, you know, in Southern India, eating vegetarian food, then it wouldn't be a yeah. problem, but right. Right. Wait, I have to ask you this question. And I know, you know, I, I know you're busy, so I won't keep it. I could talk to you all day though, David. This, <laughs> this is, is great. fun. This yeah. Is um, so I want to cook. Do you want to cook an Indian meal and we go yes. to India and we do from scratch? Hell yeah. Let's do let's it. Let's do it. I'm so down with that. Are you kidding All me? Right. I was going to ask you if you had India on your list. Look, I've been talking to an Indian TV distribution company. Oh, that's big. They, they want me to do 10 episodes. Wow. Three, which is like huge market. Months. Yeah, it that's be a huge. huge market. Right. But I'm like, let's do three. There's so many different food cultures there that are mm -hmm. phenomenal. Look, Indian totally. food is, is my favorite. It's got to be. If you're going vegetarian, it's so easy to eat Indian food because oh, there's yeah. so much flavor and it's so many options that are so mm. different. Like even my kid now, I mean, we go and eat um, sag, palak yeah. paneer. Yep. Those are my favorite. Nothing beats naan. I mean, my gosh. Naan you need like my fresh. mom's sag paneer. You'll really? go crazy. Oh, she's such a good cook. All right. Such so maybe cook. you and your mom yeah. you figure out what the dish is. And then we go to India and we source. Done. 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 <laughs> right. I love that I, idea. I'm taking you. I'm taking you on this. All right. All right. Don't you forget it. I have. I'm not going to forget it. We're, plan <laughs> we're planning this season right now. Season three, we're planning. I love so. it. Well, good. I'm so excited for you. I really, I'm excited to watch the show because it yeah. just sounds like a show that an entire family can watch. If you are a foodie, if you're an adventurer, if yeah. you care about the environment, you know, all of the above, it just, it checks all the boxes. Um, how do you I feel know. about people maybe saying, oh, he could be the next Anthony Bourdain. Do you, would you rather just be the, the first David Moscow or the next Anthony Bourdain? Or what, what do you think about the Bourdain, comparison? You know, there, there are people who are singular and, and there's no comparison, right? Mm -hmm. I think. A, I'm not an expert. So he's an expert. And I don't pretend to be an expert. I go meet with experts. Mm -hmm. I am a surrogate for the audience. I'm a vessel who asks the dumb questions, who puts himself in harm's way to show this is what real expertise looks like. And I'm not it. So Bourdain is someone that, you know, could stand there and tell you how things were. Mm -hmm. And you would be like, oh, yeah, I believe I, I, his worldview. And he knows what he's talking about. I'll check into that. I'm not that, right? So even when writing this book, it really is about what we learned along the way. So I think, you know, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. But I love that you said that you're like the surrogate for the audience. I'm going to remember that. I really like that because 
to go at it from that approach and not pretend to be an expert, not pretend like, you know what the hell you're doing. You're going there, figuring it out. You're learning. And by you learning, your audience is learning. So I, I, I love that point of view. I think it's important. Look, there's great chefs. There are great people who know what they're doing on mm-hmm. television. Ramsey is doing a similar show, but he knows what he's doing. He goes in and like, I can make a better dish with these ingredients than these people, whatever. That's what he does, right? And I could never do that. Or Michael Pollan, right? Who's this uh, brilliant sort of botanist and like you know, food cultural critic. There's an amazing Netflix miniseries. I think it's called like Earth, Fire, Air and Water. And like, it's incredible. It's like a, it's like a, a an encyclopedia. I've heard about watch. this one. I, I think um, I watched an episode. It is. It's very interesting. Beautiful. Yeah, beautifully um, shot. But that's that's for them to do. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. This was this fun. Was yeah, yeah it was so great. And we're gonna go. We're gonna one go day to India pubs- and make. That's make right. A I think we should. I think it'd be a blast. Well, good luck. I'll be watching. I'll be telling everyone about it. History Channel. History, it's it's 9 a.m. It's on the outdoor block in the morning. And then the next night, it'll be on FYI primetime, Sunday night, and uh, check your local listings. And then, yeah, From that's scratch. Yep, that's right. That's right. All right. You're the best. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the Break with Tanya Nyack, a Mudhouse Media production.